0: Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Jozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tadonai the governor of the province beyond the river and Shithar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. Then Darius the king made a decree. And search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Echbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be sixty cubits, and its breadth sixty cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place." You shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shithar I, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven And pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled upon it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree... Let it be done with all diligence.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Stephen Hill. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, As Luke said, my name is Neil. I get to be one of the pastors here uh, at church. If it's your first time with us, so glad that you've chosen to join with us. huge shout out to those who are joining us online. Thanks for joining us as well. Uh, How about we pray as we dive into God's word this morning? Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we just uh, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the way that we see that you have been working throughout history. You have a people that you have called to yourself. And we are part of that people. So Lord, we pray that just as we open your words, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us tongues to taste your beauty and your glory. Lord, will you just do the mysterious work through your Holy Spirit, of transforming our hearts and minds, from one degree of glory to the next, as we behold Jesus this morning. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, uh, we live out in Fernshire Gully. Uh, and so if anyone's kind of out that way, you might know, or the one way you might come to church is the way I do, is down Fernshire Gully Road. Uh, and if you know that road at all, and you're coming from uh, out the eastern suburbs... Uh, you kind of pass East Link in the kind of valley there, and you pass where Jell's Park is, and then you go up uh, this kind of big hill to the corner of Gels Road, and that's in Wheeler's Hill. Uh, and uh, on one corner is the kind of the classic Wheeler's Hill Hotel that's been there forever. Uh, and on the opposite corner there's probably one of uh, the most prominent and best blocks of land remaining uh, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, There's got a big block of land that's vacant on the corner there. It's got views in every direction because it's pretty much the highest point uh, in that place. But for as long as I can remember, there's always been uh, just so many grand plans for that block of land. You know, there's always been billboards about, you know, the, the, the kind of coming development that's going to be there, you know, to invest now, to get your opportunity. There, there's been so much vision uh, for the future of, you know, what, what could be built on this site. But despite uh, so many plans, so much vision, the, the block is still vacant. In fact, I think the, the most successful thing that's ever been there is uh, when Silver's Circus rolls into town. And they set up there. They use it. Uh, a few years ago, a big develop, development of units kind of started on, on part of that block. But, but within a few years, that whole thing just came to a grinding halt. There, there's no work is being done. There's, there's security fences still up. There's there's a still out. Uh, the foundations have been laid and you know, the, the walls have been built there 's the there's a signs of the builder and all the OH and S info and all that sort of stuff that's that 's still there, but there's there 's no work it 's completely stopped and so there's you know there 's weeds growing up everywhere, and you know everything's starting to be able to be run down and falling apart because nothing was really ever finished and so I drive past this site uh, every Sunday on the way to church and I think hey wouldn 't this be a great place for a church so if you uh, love Jesus and have a lot of money. We're going to start a building campaign. No, just kidding. That's one thing I think. But the other thing I, th- the thing I think is, like, what the heck happened? How, how could, you know, so much uh, plans and vision and-, and planning for what could be there, how could it all just come to Nothing. You know, was it you know town planning and council permits? Did it all just kind of get too hard and fall apart, or did they did they just run out of money? What what the heck went wrong? In, in Ezra chapter five, we find ourselves in five twenty BC, uh, and if you were in Jerusalem at that time, up on a up on a hill on the, the Temple Mount, then then you would have seen uh, a similar scene. The site had been cleared for the rebuilding of the temple and the foundations had been laid. There's building infrastructure in place. There's, you know, the security fencing up. There's portaloos around. There's all the OH&S info. You know, you've got to wear your hard hat, your high-vis vest, and your steel cap boots. There's There's all the signs and everything is there. There's stacks of stones and timber ready to go to rebuild. But then as you look at the site, it's clear that there's there's no work has taken place for years. You know, there's no signs of of builders or stonemasons or carpenters, no electricians. There's, there's weeds growing up everywhere, the you know, the security fences kind of falling over, and there's loos that have been knocked over. And, and you wonder, and you look at this and you wonder, and what the heck went wrong? How did it come to this? Was there you know issues with council planning? And we think, well, no, there couldn't have been. I mean, you know, this was permitted by the king. King Cyrus, his signature was on the planning permit. Did they just kind of run out of money? It's like, well, no, it was actually paid for by the government. So so what went wrong? But remember, this, this isn't just some, you know, big construction company that has gone bust. But this is about a people. It's about God's people who have been called back to the land that he gave them and to do a work that he has called them to do. You know, It was all about reinstating all the things that actually made them able to be in a, in a proper relationship with God. It was about you know, sacrifice and worship and, 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 and things they hadn't been able to actually do for generations. I mean, this whole thing was about the, the very presence of God being with his people once again. And so the question isn't just what went wrong, but, but what the heck have all these people been doing all this time? Because between the end of chapter 4, where it tells us that the work on the temple had ceased, and the beginning of chapter 5 is about 15 or 16 years. I mean, we think about that. You know, these were men and women and children who who would have grown up in Babylon. They'd probably never been to Jerusalem at all. They only would have heard about it from their parents and their grandparents. But in order to be faithful to the Lord, they've uprooted themselves. They've traveled hundreds of miles to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And so they're, they're enthusiastic, they're, they're full of zeal, they're there to do God's work, to, to rebuild the temple, to, to reinstate worship, to, to rebuild the city, and so they go to work. But then opposition comes, and everything just grinds to a halt. And there's 15 years of no progress. So what have, what have they been doing All this time. Well, we we know that it's God who has initiated this work, and he who began a work, a good work, is faithful to complete it. And so throughout chapters 5 and 6, we'll we'll see that even though uh, the work had ceased for so long, we'll see that, first of all, that it's the word of the Lord that stirs people's hearts. That it's the decree of the Lord that turns hearts, and it's the joy of the Lord that fills hearts. So we'll start with the word of the Lord that stirs hearts. Uh, Open up to uh, Ezra chapter 5, if you've got it there. At the end of chapter 4, we're given uh, this key date. Uh, It says that work ceased until the second year of the reign of King Darius. And uh, as we said before, that places us at 520 BC. Uh, And this is what happened. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the sons of Edo, Prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of the Lord God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So God sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and then, you know, all of a sudden, after 15 years, Zerubbabel and Josedach, and everyone else is kind of just whipped back into action. So wouldn't it be great if we actually knew what the prophets had said? Well, good news, we do. Uh, It's actually recorded, this exact moment is recorded in the books of Haggai and Zechariah. So we're actually going to turn there now. Uh, So if you want to turn to Haggai, uh, it's one of the minor prophets, so it's kind of further along. Uh, So if you head past Psalms, past uh, Jeremiah, past Isaiah, if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. Uh, If you've got my Bible, it's on page 883. (laughs) All the words will be uh, up on the screen. Haggai uh, says this. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, right, so exactly the same time. In the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. And to Joshua, which is another way of saying Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And so even though God had called these people to do this specific work at this specific time, some opposition came, Things got hard, and they said, uh, it's probably just not God's timing. So, so what have they been doing all this time? They've been making excuses. Now, it's true, isn't it, that there are often times where we need to wait and trust in God's timing, that, that we're not in control. And, and often, living by faith means that we, ne- we need to trust in God's timing for things. And that teaches us faith and humility. But there's, there's also times where we can justify our own unfaithfulness, or justify our own lack of action. Perhaps because things kind of became more difficult than we thought. Everything just kind of didn't fall into place how we thought it might, and we we conclude, ah, it must, it's just not God's timing. I mean, you know, who, who, can, who can argue with that? I mean, it, it sounds humble. It sounds so full of faith. You know, let, let go and let God. And maybe that's true. Or, or maybe there's actually just a, a false humility there, and it's really just an excuse for, for spiritual apathy. Let's read on. Verse 3. So then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? See, houses back then, they're often kind of just made of mud brick. And so the the external walls were also the internal walls. You had brick on the outside, you had brick on the inside. And that was kind of the most basic house that most people would have had. But if you had a panelled house, like that meant you you had like plaster walls. Right? So you had brick on the outside and then panels on the inside. And, and, and back then, that was fancy. You go Pinterest, house, all the panelled houses, every picture. But see, this, this criticism here from Haggai, it's not directed at the fact that they have panelled houses. See, their nice houses isn't the problem. It's the fact that they've messed up their priorities. See, they're they're too busy making their own houses beautiful while God's house lies in ruins. And so they've got houses to maintain, they've got building projects going on, they've got lawns to mow, kitchens to renovate, and all this has made them too busy to serve. And so rather than kind of you know persevering through that adversity that came to be faithful to the call that God placed on their lives, rather than seeking first the kingdom of God, they have just being consumed by all the things that just make their lives comfortable. And serving the Lord has just been squeezed out. And how do they justify it? Ah, it's just not the Lord's timing right now. Verse 5. Says now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts: Consider your ways; you have sown much, and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. And so they're just on the treadmill of life always running but never arriving and so despite all the efforts they've they've put into to building their houses into building their lives always believing that you know just fulfillment and satisfaction like that's just just around the corner you know if i just you know had had a slightly bigger house if i just could get that promotion if i could just get a bit more money if i just have that relationship well then then i'm going to be fulfilled but then I'm going to find that satisfaction that my heart is craving. Then I'll find joy. And that you found that wanting. And it goes on, verse 7. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. It says, Consider your ways, go up to the hills, and bring wood, and build the house, that I might take pleasure in it, and that I might be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and on all their labours. And so we, we see that it's it's actually the Lord who is frustrating their efforts. See, God loves you too much to let you find satisfaction and fulfilment in things that don't actually matter and have no eternal value. That, that pervasive and inescapable sense of, of dissatisfaction and, and unfulfillment, that, that you just can't seem to, to shake that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you keep running after things, that that sense may actually be the grace of God in your life calling you to something else. And so Haggai says, you, you know why you're, you're so unfulfilled? Why, why you're constantly running and never arriving? Why you're, you're constantly eating and, and never full? Why, why you're constantly working and never finishing? Well, it's because you've gotten off track. You, you've been distracted from the things that God has actually called you to do. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. You're seeking first the kingdom of self, where it's all about comfort and ease in this life. Busying yourselves with beautifying your homes. And see, this ultimately isn't about buildings and property, it's about priorities. See, are you seeking first the kingdom of God in your life? Or have you been distracted and you're just making excuses? You spend hours and hours, you know, binging your favorite TV shows or scrolling. Social media, but then oh, I just don't really have time to serve God. Or you know drop hundred dollars every week on buying lunch and coffee, and then oh, I don't really have enough money left over to, to give to God to, to further the work of His kingdom. You know maybe you used to be just really passionate for the Lord, full, full of zeal and, and wanting to serve Him, Or, or perhaps you, you maybe once you're kind of in formal ministry in some point. And at some point you felt like there was a call on your life, that God had called you to serve him in a particular way. And maybe things didn't work out. Maybe things got hard. Maybe, maybe you did burn out or you were hurt. And you genuinely needed some time on the bench. And then maybe maybe it's not God's time for you right now to get back into the game. But but maybe those kind of worldly comforts and distractions are actually what's keeping you on the bench. I mean, you know, COVID. First time in salvation history where you didn't have to put on pants to turn up to church. <laughs> I don't know, you know, for, for some of you, maybe you're, you're tuning in online. Maybe there's, there's legitimate reasons why you haven't yet come back to gathering, and, and that's okay. But, but, but since COVID, for, for some of you, that, that just gathering and serving God's people no longer has the priority that it's meant to have in your life. You know, you, you can't say that, that you love Jesus and not love what Jesus loves. You can't say that you're committed to Jesus and not committed to Jesus' people. But God is faithful. Even when his people is not, God is faithful. And so here he sends prophets. He sends Haggai and Zechariah, and they preach a three-week teaching series called Rebuild. That was a joke. Not really. But they did preach. And three weeks later, God's people get back to work. So if we look at verse 14 in Haggai chapter 1, it says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant people, and they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts their God. See, the Lord uses the, the preaching of his word as the primary means of building his church. He he uses the preaching of his word to, to stir up and wake sleepy and distracted Christians. And so back then it was about rebuilding the temple. And now it's about building his church. See, so it's, it's the preaching of the word that stirs the hearts of people into action. And so it's a good thing. It's a good thing that you are here this morning. We're going to flip back into Ezra. chapter. Uh, we'll actually head over to chapter 6 and see how this plays out. Verse 14 says, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by the decree of the God of Israel, by the decree of Sirius and Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. See, it's the the word of the Lord that stirs hearts. We're going to actually explore that a lot more next week. But then we see... Also in this passage, that it's the decree of the Lord that turns hearts. So get back, head back to uh, chapter five in Ezra, and verse three. Says this: At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shetha, Shetha and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus: Who gave you a decree to build this house? and to finish this structure. Also, they also ask them this, what are the names of the men who are building this building? Well, if you are here last week, you would have heard that whenever God's people do God's work, then, then opposition comes. And sometimes that opposition comes from those who are you know, actively God's enemies, but, but sometimes it comes in, in more of a different kind of form. Tatnai, uh, he's, a, he's a governor, and it tells us he's a, a governor of a certain place. It's the province from beyond the river. Uh, and there's actually external sources as well that, that testify to the existence of this guy as a governor. And so Tatnai and his colleagues, they, they come by the temple site, and they see that all of a sudden, all this, all this rebuilding work has begun. And so they they probably weren't around, you know, 15 years earlier when the whole thing started. So they don't know what's going on. And so they they ask, who who gave you this decree to build this house? And this question is actually the, the key question of these these chapters. Who gave you this decree? They're asking, you know, that is like do you have permission? Have you got your permits? Have you are you doing your inspections? Are you doing everything properly? And so on one hand, they're, they're kind of just doing their job. You know, they're, they're like they're working for the council, and so they turn up on site. They're just making sure. You know, are all the rules being followed? Have you, have you got all your plans? Have you got all your permits? Making sure that all the inspections are going on. And, and sometimes you know, people who work in those jobs are really super helpful. That, that if you're doing a building uh, project or something like that, and they, they come along, and as long as you're trying to follow the rules, that they're, that they're really helpful and help you to do what you want to do. But other times, guys like that can just be on a bit of a power trip, yeah? And so they just like kind of making things difficult. You know, they know that they have the, the power to, to approve things or to make you jump through more hoops. You know, it could be that they're having a bad day, and so they just say no. Trying to, trying to get things pushed through council sometimes can be a nightmare. And, and sometimes all it is is, not because they're, they're trying to do their job well, but just because you know, they're just on a bit of a power trip. You know, they're just trying to flex their government mus- muscles and, and make things difficult for you just because they can. And see, the, the opposition that they face here in this moment is actually really just kind of, it's like bureaucratic red tape. Government officials just kind of flexing their government muscles and just kind of being a bit of a jerk about it. So these guys, they, what they do, they send a letter back to Darius uh, and they record the conversation that they have going on, and they, they re- request a response from the king. Uh, you can actually read about that in the rest of chapter 5, but in that is a request to, to search the archives, to, to search the database, to search the Google Drive, to find actually if, if this original edict, this original decree that they were allowed to rebuild was made. Does, does the permit actually exist? And then the letter ends with them requesting that the king, uh, he says, send his pleasure in this matter. And so you kind of get the sense that, that Tat and I is kind of saying this with a certain kind of smugness. It's kind of like, yeah, I don't really think that this whole, you know, permit thing for this building really exists. But, you know, we'll just wait, we'll just wait on what, what the king says. We'll, we'll wait for his response. And so let's read from chapter 6 and see uh, the response from Darius. Chapter 6-1 says, Then Darius the king made a decree, and a search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored, in, in, and in Ecipitania, the citadel, that is, in the, province, in the province of Medea. A scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree, Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels from the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took. Out of the temple that is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tatni, governor of the province beyond the river, and Bazar Bosni, you and your and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. See, I love this because. The, the king ain't no fool. Uh, he, he knows uh, exactly what's going on. He knows what Tatanai is trying to do, that he's, that he's just on a bit of a power trip and he's just kind of trying to shut this whole thing down. And, and so he tells them in his letter, in his decree, to, to, to back off. It says, uh, verse 7, Let the work on this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house on its site. And so here they have a state permission to rebuild. And then it gets really good in verse 8. It says, Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. Okay, so... Who is the governor of the province from beyond the river? It's Tatnai, right? So so what is Darius saying here? He said, you need, they they have permission to rebuild. Also, we're going to pay for it. And Tatnai, that's actually going to come out of your budget. You're going to be the one who is paying for this. Uh, And then uh, in classic uh, Persian king style, he kind of piles on more. Verse 8, sorry, verse 9 says, And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. So now they have state provision. Permission, provision, everything's being paid for. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house made a dunghill. It's kind of full on. (laughs) May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree let it be done with all diligence. And so by decree from King Darius, they receive state permission, state provision, and also state protection that this work be redone. And, and how did this whole thing come about? Because as we heard, the, the big question of these chapters is, is who gave you this decree? At the time, when the kings of Persia, if they made a decree, it became known as the law of the Kings of, sorry, the law of the Medes and the Persians, which was a way of saying that this law is unalterable. It's something that can't be changed or reversed, the outcome must be certain. And that's part of the reason why King Darius put so many things in place to make sure that it's happened. He wants to make sure this decree is fulfilled. But let's have a look at chapter 6, verse 14 again. It says, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished building by decree of the God of Israel. And by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. See, ultimately, all of this happens because of the decree of the Lord. See, Darius's decree, at the end of the day, he's, he's only a man. And the only reason it was successful was because God decreed it would be so. And so when Tat and I asked at the beginning, who gave you this decree? The answer is the Lord. It wasn't merely King Cyrus. It wasn't merely King Darius. It was the Lord. And if you look down to verse 22, it says, And they keep the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of God. The God of Israel, See, it was the, the decree of the Lord that turned Darius' heart. See, whatever God decrees comes to pass. Everything that is, is because God has decreed it. And that's why when it says in, in Romans that all things work together for good for those who love Jesus and belong to him, we can be absolutely certain that that is true and we can be confident in that because God has decreed it. This is why we can be confident. And we see that, that because of that, because of the decrees of the Lord, the people are full of joy. That's what we see in verse 22, that for the Lord had made them joyful. And so finally we'll consider how it is that the, the joy of the Lord fills hearts. Uh, it tells us in 615 uh, that it's in the sixth year of Darius' reign that the temple is finally finished. So it took about four years of building to get it completed. So what do they do? Well, they throw a big party. Uh, verse 16, "...and the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy." See, so finally, the the temple has been rebuilt. God's people, once again, they can come and they can worship and they they can serve God as they were meant to. And not only that, but they're they're full of joy because because their prayers were answered. They'd they'd seen prophecies fulfilled. They'd seen clear evidence of, of God being at work in their lives and amongst their people. And so they celebrate, and they, they have Passover, and they can once again, they can, they can make sacrifices necessary to, to atone for their sin. And so this was the, the best news that they could possibly have. The best news. And so they are filled with joy, and they celebrate. You know, I honestly believe that the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is the greatest news in the world. It's the the best news there is. It's it's so much better what they had. With the temple and the sacrifices, we have Jesus. We we don't need a temple to worship God. We have Jesus. We don't need to sacrifice bulls and goats and and rams. We have Jesus. We have the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know what, that should fill us with joy. Uh, Almost every week, uh, in the afternoon, as we're kind of leaving the office, uh, Pastor Pat will say to me something like, don't we just have the greatest job in the world? Don't we just, isn't this the best? I can't believe that we get paid to tell people about Jesus, to, to point people to Jesus. And I love it because he's, he's just so excited about, about telling people about Jesus. So they're pointing people to Jesus because it's it's the greatest news in the world. Do, do you believe that? Does that fill you with joy? We're, we're a church family that's, you know, we're a bit all over the map. You know, we all come from often different kind of church backgrounds, and you know, it's something I love about our church. You know, some of us were you know, kind of a bit more charismatic, and so when we're when we're worshiping, you know, we're arms up like this. Some of us were kind of more Presbyterian, so we'll sing loud but keep those arms down. Some of us were kind of maybe a bit more Baptist, so we do like the carrying the TV sway. There's all kinds of different ways that we worship, and then some of us we come each week and. And we'll stand, though, with hands in our pockets or our arms crossed. You know, ultimately, it's not about you know, what we do with our hands or our arms, but it's about what's going on in our hearts. Are we worshipping with joy? Because some of us, you know, we come and I, and I see and we're there and we, you know, we'll just kind of mouth the words but not really tasting their meaning. We'll we'll just kind of stare at the screen, you know, wondering how many more choruses we're going to sing until this whole thing's over. See, the reason that we sing is because we want to get these deep, amazing truths, the good news, the greatest news in the world, deep into our hearts. The the reason we sing is to, to remind ourselves and to remind one another of the greatest news in The world. The reason that we sing is to, to celebrate what God has done and what God is doing. And we, we come and we, we hear the word of God, so faithfully preached every week, the, the greatest news in the world, so faithfully proclaimed. And we, have, we, we, we sing, we choose, we, we sing deep, theologically rich songs that we we want to sing to to inspire us and to fill us with joy. See, we have have every reason to be filled with the joy of what God has done and what God is doing. Does does that fill you with joy? I know that there's only about three or four other people in this room who can sing as well as Steph does. Uh, I'm not one of them. Uh, they make sure that my mic is off by the time I get off this stage. And that's why the Bible says to, to make a joyful noise, not, a, not an in-tune noise, not a, not a sonically pleasing noise. And it says that because it knows that you and I, we can't sing that well. But it says make a joyful noise. Why? because the good news of Jesus Christ should fill us with joy. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to sing. Who'd have thought, huh? So why don't you stand with me? And if you believe this, if you believe the gospel, why don't you raise your voices with us as we sing about the glorious news of our Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, some of us Lord, we come to you because some of us have been, we've been distracted by the cares of this world. That We haven't been serving you. We haven't been seeking your kingdom first. Some of us have been just sitting on the sidelines, making excuses. Lord, we're thankful for your grace, that you are faithful to us even when we're not faithful to you. Lord, we pray that it's by your word that you might rouse us back into action for you. Lord, we, may we be people who, who seek your kingdom first because we're so convinced of the good news of the gospel, that it truly is the greatest news in the world. Lord, may that fill us with joy. May we sing these deep words deep into our hearts so that our hearts would be enlarged for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Would we know the joy of the Lord? Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing, huh?
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.